sit down. This morning's reading is from 1 Peter 1, and it's verses 1 and 2. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. Amen. Let's just pray for Lou as she just comes up and brings your word. Father God, we thank you for Lou. We thank you for the words that she is now about to bring us. Thank you for being with her in her preparation. And Lord, may what she has to say to us today, may that resonate in our hearts and as we go home. So Lord, thank you. May your presence come upon us as we listen to Lou. Amen. morning. Good to see you all on this very rainy, wet day. Almost thought I might need to get a canoe out to get down the road, but uh, no. Fortunately, as a sign of how blessed I feel on a Sunday, Ian takes the dog for a walk. (laughs) I walked him yesterday, beautiful walk along the beach in the sunshine, but for some reason the Lord saw that it should rain today as Ian was able to walk the dog. But there you go. We are kicking off a new series here, a new series of talks because it's Lent. We're in the countdown to Easter already. This year is speeding by, isn't it? And uh, we are going to do these talks that are titled Frontline Sundays. Now, um, this is uh, some material, really, the, for the uh, inspiration of this from the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity, which is a very big mouthful, so we call it the LICC. And they're all about equipping the church uh, to do what the church should do, which is to make disciples so that everybody knows about Jesus. Everybody can hear and experience and know the truth of all that Jesus is. Now, Frontline Sundays... It's a weird name, isn't it? If any of you has got a pet, when you hear the word frontline, <laughs> you're going to think about this, aren't you? Yeah. I just want to reassure you that this series of talks has nothing to do with fleas, ticks, or anything like that. So don't get itchy, all right? Don't get itchy. But they do have everything to do about your front lines. So I want to pause for a moment. What do we mean by frontline? Well, if you were brought up with somebody that likes war in, boring stuff, as we used to accuse my dad when he went on about, oh, and the war, this was this, warring, boring, warring, boring. Oh, is that him? Warring, boring, there you go. When you think of front lines, you'll think of a military line. If I was to say to my dad, what's a front line? He'd probably say, well, actually, it's formed by the most advanced tactical combat units. A line that is right at the front, visible by friend or foe. It's advanced. It's therefore an area of potential um, or actual conflict or struggle. 
But I just want to allay any fears. We are not talking about military stuff either. Sorry, but it ain't going to be military stuff for the next few weeks. We also think, when we think of frontline, maybe we think about frontline services. We were very aware of our frontline services, weren't we, when, um, when we had COVID and all that kind of stuff. Services in this country, health, social care, education, services that are run by the government to provide things directly to members of the public. Those who are classed as frontline workers are the people who deliver that service, who go out and directly interact with those around them to deliver health care, education, social care. When I'm talking about frontlines, maybe I'm thinking about it a little bit more in that kind of a way. People who go out and directly interact with those around them to deliver something important and life-giving. How does that relate maybe to us sat here this morning? Well, I'd like for us just to watch a little clip that's come from the LICC. It's, it's, it's barely a minute long, so if I press the button now, hopefully it should all work. Over a month, around 6% of the UK gather together to worship Jesus. It feels like we're too few to make a difference. But the reality is, Monday to Saturday, God has us, scattered in the world, connecting to hundreds and thousands of people. So wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever you do, you can make all the difference in the world. And on Sundays, when we gather together, we strengthen and empower one another to be sent out again for life on our front lines. So there you go. There you get a little bit of an idea of what I'm talking about with Frontline. Because gathered together here as London Road Baptist Church, we are a church in mission. We are a church on mission. Because if we are not, we are not the church. If we are not, we are not the church. Because as church, we thought a bit about this last week, didn't we? As a church, we're the body of Christ. And that means that we are to do the things that Jesus did in the way that Jesus did them. So if we are not a church on mission, we're not the church. We are part of our Heavenly Father's mission to this world. Every day, wherever we are, whoever we are, and whatever we do, the church is a body of people who live this rhythm of gathering and scattering. We gather together, most, mostly on Sundays, although there are other opportunities to gather together. And then we scatter, really, for most of the week. And despite being a minority within our society and community, Christians, followers of Jesus, are called to be those who make all the difference in the world, wherever they are, whoever they are, whatever they do, Monday through Saturday. You see, to be those who grow in faith, to be those who are growing in what it really means to be a Jesus follower, a disciple of Jesus in our front lines, those places where we're scattered to throughout the week, we need one another. We need one another to learn what it means for us to be together as a worshipping community. We need one another to be encouraged, to be encouraged in our sharing 
not just with one another, but with the people that we see in the week. We need one another for support, for prayer. We need one another as we come together in the presence of Jesus, if we are to be effective in our frontline places. So this morning, what I really want to do, or what I hope to do, is to ignite your imaginations, maybe inspire hope within you and within us together here for the possibility, possibilities maybe of our everyday lives and living within what is a very complex and broken world. And to do that, I'd like for us just to read again those verses from 1 Peter, verses 1 to 2. It's such a short reading, isn't it? But let's just read those words again. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. And his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you've been, you have obeyed him. And you've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. That's just the opening what a fantastic opening. It's only two verses, but my goodness, they're quite weighty, aren't they? With truth and potential and wonder. Peter, who writes this letter, it's Gobby Peter, you know? You know who I mean when I say Gobby Peter, you know? The one who followed Jesus, one of his disciples, the one who said, I'll never betray you, and then did just that. The one who got out of the boat and then got a bit overwhelmed and sank. You know the one I mean, don't you? The one who opened his mouth and then his brain clicked in. And, went, and he went, oh, that Peter. That's the Peter that's writing this letter. And he's writing this letter to scattered groups of Christians in what is modern-day Turkey. And he's writing to them, I think, to inspire them. He's writing to them to encourage them to realize the possibilities and the potential held within their everyday lives and living in all of the complexities of the times in which they were living. And to do this, Peter uses two quite pivotal words, I think. He uses the words chosen and he uses the word foreigner. In some translations of the Bible, those words are elect, and exile. In the New Living Translation, chosen and foreigners. And he's using those words to help the church to know who they are. Because it's important that you know who you are. And they, just like us today in the UK, are a small minority in nations that in the main do not worship Jesus. You know, the image of the six red dots in a sea of grey ones, picture this. And yet Peter is confident in what God can and will do through them. Very confident in what is possible through these people. And I wonder whether any of us truly this morning has a confidence and a hope anywhere near that of what Peter speaks about when we think about what God could, can and will do through us. I wonder. Peter finishes up this short opening greeting by joyfully celebrating the work of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in these first century disciples, day by day, as they go to make all the difference in the world. 
Now, do you know what? In general, if you were to tell people that you go to church, apart from the fact that they'll go, really? You do? They might think it's because you're religious. Lots of people think that, don't they? Whatever that actually means. Sometimes when people find out what I do, I don't normally tell them straight away because the conversation sometimes dries up a little. Um, and they go, oh, you don't seem religious. And I'm like, no, it's because I'm not. <laughs> but they think if you go to church that you're religious. It's what people like you do. Or maybe they think, well, that's where you've got friends, so it's a good place to connect up with your friends. And that's not bad, is it, I suppose? Or maybe they just get a sense of, of the sort of support that you get from going to church, and they're quite pleased for you, that you belong to such a good community. Now, there is a grain of truth, I suppose, in all of these views, but they do miss what the New Testament suggests church is all about. You see, when Peter begins his letter to the small groups of Christians that are scattered across ancient Turkey. He wants them to understand what it really means to be the church. And he does this, he does it by helping them to see themselves as part of the Old Testament people of God. And he uses those two words and a very stunning truth. They speak of a very stunning truth. He calls them, as I said, chosen, or in some translations, elect. If you go back to Genesis, the first book in the Bible, particularly from about verse 12 onwards, you see that God's purpose in Abraham and all his descendants was that he, that he was going to bless Abraham, and Abraham, in turn, was going to be a blessing to the world. Not just to a little group, but to the world. Now, not all these early Christians would have been Jewish by birth, yet Peter is drawing them into the ongoing story of God's intention for the world by using the language of calling and choosing. Whatever our journey of faith in Jesus was, when we surrendered to Jesus and his lordship, we become part of this called and chosen people. In the visual we're using, we're like the red dots. He's saying, remember, you're chosen. You're part of a chosen people. The red dots visualize the statistical fact that in the UK, uh, around 6% of people will worship in a Christian church once a month or more. It's not many, but it's significant. You see, when we gather as worshippers, we remind ourselves that we believe a very particular story about this world. And you know, this is why it's significant, because at the moment, this world is in chaos, and it is utterly broken, and it is without hope. I don't know whether, like me, sometimes I listen to the news, and there comes a point where I have to switch it off, because it is so bleak. But I don't believe we're to stick our head in the sands about it. But you see, however few we are, it's significant when we gather together because we remind ourselves that we have a particular story about this world. Broken and chaotic as it is, it is a world that God loves. With, without measure. It is a world that we believe is God's. Because he created it. However it came into being, whether it was a big bang or anything else, he was the one that spoke it into being. It's not just an accident. He loves this world. Yes, we believe it's broken, and we believe it's broken because of sin, because we were given free choice, but we never choose to do the things that bring us life. We believe that in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, new life is possible, 
A new way is possible. We believe that one day everything will be transformed. You see, we live as people with a very distinct story in a culture that may not believe any of that or may actually poo-poo that or may think it's an absolute load of bunkum. But this is the story that we believe because this is the story of our scriptures. We are red dots and when we gather, we do so to strengthen and encourage one another to be who we are. And who are we? We are God's chosen people for this time, for this community, for this place, for this nation, for this world now. That's who we are. I wonder whether you feel that. You feel God's chosen people for this place, for this time. I wonder whether you really know that. That you, each one of you, are created and called and known by God. You are created in love. You are called by name. And you, each one of you, has a unique purpose within the overarching story of God's saving grace. Are you awake to this? Are you truly awake to what that means? Or have you kind of nodded off? Because it's time to wake up to that, I think. Not for your sake, so that you can have nice experiences, but for the sake of the world. It's time to wake up for the sake of the world. So Peter calls them chosen. He also calls them Ah, there you go. He also chose them, calls them foreigners or exiles. Now, this term recalls the great disaster of the Old Testament, really, because Israel lost their land. They lost their land. And they lived as exiles. And at first, they thought, we're probably going to get back quite quick. We'll sit it out for a little bit, but we'll be all right. But, of course, the prophets told them that most of that first generation of exiles wouldn't return. It wasn't going to happen that quickly. But they could remain distinct and they could still be a blessing where they were. In Jeremiah 29, it talks about the fact, you know, settle down, build yourself, you know, grow some vines, make wine, marry your daughters and your sons off, do all of that kind of stuff, but pray for the prosperity of the place where you are. Because if that place does well, you'll do well. In other words, be a blessing. Be a blessing where you are. You're not probably where you might want to be. It's not exactly how you want it. But live as my people in that place, and through you, others will be blessed. Be, be a blessing where you are. Today, we are also scattered for most of the time. We don't spend all of our time with fellow Christians. And if you're thinking, well, I do, all I'll say is you need to get out a little bit more. <laughs> I know you all laugh, but I'm being perfectly honest. You need, one of the downsides of being a minister is you spend far too long with Christian people with the best will in the world, that is the truth. Because we are supposed to be on a mission. So if you haven't got that many non-Christian friends, go out and get a life. I've lost where I'm thinking now. It happens. We don't spend all our time with fellow Christians. I want you to think about the places where you spend most of your time Monday to Saturday. I want you to think about the people that you see. I want you to realize that maybe you could be the only disciple of Jesus in those places. Maybe you are the only disciple of Jesus in your home or at work or in your class 
wherever it is you go, office, wherever. Maybe you are the only Bible some people may ever read. It's to these people and in these places that we are called to shine. As Philippians says, to shine like the stars in the heavens. And that's bright, by the way, in case you wondered what that was. It's bright. And it's important, therefore, that we don't grey out. Easy for us to grey out and not shine brightly. It's in Romans 12, 2, that we are told not to conform to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed. Because when we lose our distinctiveness, we become the same as the surrounding culture. God has a plan, you see, in placing us in our scattered contexts. He has a plan. So how are you, or how are we, distinct as followers of Jesus in our scattered places? How are you? distinct. I'm not talking about Christians being distinct in a socks and sandals kind of a way, you know, like you can spot them a mile off, bet they're a Christian. Not that kind of way. I mean that you are embodying a way of being that actually is different to the people around and about you. I was going to think, I was going to talk a little bit about Brits abroad, but it gives the wrong kind of message, I think, Brits abroad, really. But I do know one thing. I do know that as our daughter's been living in Paris now for, what, over a year, I suppose, hasn't she? A year? Two years. There are certain aspects of being English that are very important to her now because she's living in a different place than there was before. She mixes with French people, of course she does, but there are certain aspects of being English that she holds on to very dearly. So there's a part of how she lives is, she does live as an English person in a foreign setting in a way that isn't bad, but she lives that out. It reminds me very much of when we were in Chesham, our next door neighbor, Maria, a very formidable little Sicilian lady. Not Italian, no, Sicilian. So you don't want to get on the wrong side of her. But um, when I used to go round to coffee with Maria, it was like going to Italy. I didn't say that to her, I said Sicily, um, for the afternoon because she had lived in this country for longer than she had ever lived in Sicily. But my goodness, she was so Sicilian. Everything. Only Italian language TV. You walked in, the house was de- house exactly like ours, but decorated with just, it was just like walking into another world. And her heating was up so high that it really was like walking into another world. The smells of her cooking, everything was like being in Sicily. I've never been to Sicily, but I kind of feel I have. Because she lived as a Sicilian in this country. And we are called to live that distinctly as Christians within this culture. So not necessarily that people think you're a weirdo, but that people can see that when they are in your presence, they are living within the kingdom of God within this culture. Because there's something that is different about us. That's the distinction I'm talking about. That's the distinction. How are you distinct as followers of Jesus in your scattered places? So Peter offers us a reminder this morning that as members of the church of God, we are called and we are sent. 
We are chosen and we are called by God and we are created with purpose and we have a part to play in the mission of God, continuing the work and the ministry of Jesus Christ. We are also sent. We are scattered like foreigners, exiles into the world, but to be distinct from the world so that we can make all the difference in the world. You see, that's how we make all the difference in the world. And if this all starts to sound as though it might be a little bit too difficult, because let's be honest, when you think about the fact 6%, it's not a lot, is it? Can I just point out to you that the whole world was turned completely upside down by Jesus and 12 disciples? Can I just point out to you that when Jesus left that twelve, the, the Great Commission to those 12 people, <laughs> who were, let's be honest, not the people I'd have chosen at all, a bunch of losers, really, weren't they? Who hadn't really proven themselves to be all that great. But we're here. The church is still here. So please don't start thinking, oh, it's a bit too difficult and it might be impossible, because you're chosen. And you're sent by the God who created the whole world with just a word. We need to wake up to that. If it starts to sound as though it might be too difficult, too scary, too out of your comfort zones, well, it might be out of your comfort zones, but I don't, don't apologize for that. Then Peter finishes with this fantastic reminder of the incredible work of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the work of God that happens in each person's life when they come and say yes to Jesus. Listen to what he says. He says, you were chosen long ago by a loving Father God who knows you. Your situations are known by the Father. You are known. Nothing that you can ever face is outside of the knowledge and the care and the lordship of the one who is above all. That's quite a remarkable thing, isn't it? That's quite a remarkable thing, isn't it? I think that's a mind-blowing thing. That the God of all creation knows you. He's known you from long ago, and he loves you. I mean, that's truly amazing. It's not necessarily that he knows you, but that having known you, loves you. Loves you. We're also told that his spirit has made us Oh, his spirit has made you holy. His spirit has made you holy. That means we are set apart. We are set apart. It's a reminder that we have a unique part to play as the people we are before God. We're called to be the fullest reality of who we are, unique, different from one another, but remaining open to the Holy Spirit, allowing our hearts and minds to be filled with all the fullness of God so that we remain distinct and we don't gray out so that we are truly able to reflect the truth of who Jesus is to our families, to our friends, to our work colleagues, to our neighbors. And lastly, we're reminded, as a result, you've obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. It does sound a bit gory, doesn't it? Takes me back to the Pentecostal days when people would say things like, you washed in the blood of the lamb. And I used to think, well, it doesn't sound a good thing to be washed in really, does it? It doesn't sound very wholesome, being washed in the blood of a lamb. But of course, what they're talking about, the, by the cleansing and sprinkling of blood, was something that happened as a sign of being included in a covenant. 
an unconditional promise. And in this case, it is made by God to us and with us in the person of Jesus. You know, in the Old Testament, when they used to make covenants with one another, they used to take animals, they'd sacrifice them, they'd chop them in half, bit gory, but let's be honest, they'd chop them in half, and they'd put the halves down like that, and the people would walk through the halved bits of animals like that, basically to say, if I break this covenant, let it be to me. Let it be to me, like what's happened here, if I break this covenant. Gory, horrible. But can you see then, can you see that we can be confident in our relationship with God because when Jesus died on the cross and when he bled, he bled for us. Can you see? That his blood was shed for us. His blood was shed for us on our behalf as a sign that believing in him and his life and his death and resurrection, we can be freed from our wrongdoing for when we break the promise that we are freed and set free from our wrong attitudes and all of our unforgiveness and our hate and our anger and all the things that scar our lives and imprison us in ways that stop us experiencing the wholeness and the fullness of life and the closeness with God that we were created to know because of Jesus. Being obedient to Jesus, we don't like the word obedience either, do we? It takes us back to being at school where you used to have to do things that you didn't want to do. Who likes that? No, I don't. I'd rather do it my own way, wouldn't you? Of course you would. Being obedient to Jesus means that we keep in step with him. We follow his way. We continue to live as those who follow his example, who obey his teaching, who do the things that he calls for us to do in the way he calls for us to do them. We follow him. We align ourselves with him. We align ourselves with his purposes for the world, for our communities, and for his purposes for all of our front lines, for all of those places where we are. You see, God has done all this for us. God has done all this for us. He's known us and chosen us. His spirit has made us holy. And we have been cleansed. We can have a closeness with God that we were created to have. We, he is the one that makes it possible for us to live out the implications of the good news of his love and forgiveness and peace made known to us in Jesus. In all of our scattered places, we are chosen, we are foreigners, we are known. We are set apart. We can have a relationship with God. We follow Jesus. As we journey through Lent, we're going to go on and explore the implications of this for us wherever we are. Whatever we do, whoever we are, and we will finish by looking at what it means for us to be a disciple-making community together. Not for our sakes, so we can put a big tick in the box, but for the sake of the world. We are red dots when we gather to strengthen one another as distinct people, and we are red dots when we scatter to all of the many different places with many different people. We are people who, because of Jesus, are called to and are able to make all the difference in the world. So where are your front lines? Where are your front lines? Who are the people who are there? And do you know how you could join God in all he's already at work on in and within the lives of these people and in these places? Let's pray together. The words of the prayer will be up on the screen so that you could read them and you can join in with them if you want, but you don't have to. Thank you, Father God, that we are your church, the body of Christ in the world. 
We are grateful for our Sunday life and the worship that equips us for the days when we're apart. Help us to see afresh the possibilities of our everyday lives. May we know your presence with us in the pressures and the potential of the week. Help us to leave traces of grace wherever we are and whatever we do. Amen. <laughs>